this, uh, this precious day and this precious opportunity that God's given us to meet together here in his house. Uh, it's good to see each one of you. Um, I know we have some that are in the parking lot this morning that have come to worship with us. And even though they're not in the building with us, they're here with us worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And we always like to give them an opportunity to... Uh, uh, to say hello to everyone on the inside and let us know that they're there on the outside. So everyone that's on the outside that can hear my voice at this time, just go ahead and honk your horn to let us know that you're out there. Praise the Lord. I, uh, I'm glad they're here with us and we want to welcome you here. Um, I'm hoping each one of you have come this morning praying for us that, uh, that God would be our helper, be our guide and our strength as we stand before you. Uh, every man of God that stands before the Lord's people should have uh, should have a focus to his effort, and that's to glorify the Lord. And uh, and in that, his hope is to edify the children of God concerning the Lord. Several weeks ago, we looked at a verse of Scripture found in the book of Job, chapter 22 and verse 21, when Eliphaz the Temanite said, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. What he's saying is the more you're acquainted, the more you know about the Lord, the more peace you'll have in your life. I've only lived on this earth 51 years, but I can tell you it seems like the more I know about the world, the less peace I have in my life. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned, but we shouldn't be overly concerned and thoughtful about the things of the world, but we should be more concerned and more diligent in learning more things about the Lord that we can have peace in our life. He is the God of peace, and we have a peace of God that we can experience here in this world as his children. That being in mind, I'd like for us to turn to the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews. I think I've already mentioned to the congregation in past efforts of how I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul was the penman of the book of Hebrews. Um, I think there's probably seven Evidence is here in this letter alone to let us know the Apostle Paul's the penman of the book of Hebrews. But if someone did not agree with me that the Apostle Paul was the penman of the book of Hebrews, at least we can agree on this, that the Lord is the author of the book of Hebrews. It came from the Lord because the Bible said all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And since it came from the Lord, the penman really could be a different man as long as we understand it came from the Lord and since it came from the Lord it's important for us. Here in the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews uh, we're going to read about someone that's a very distinguished, distinct character that we read about in, in the Old Testament and that person is, is the high priest of Israel. You know he's mentioned throughout the Old Testament and he's a man the Apostle Paul spent quite a bit of time in the book of Hebrews referencing. Um, I've always been amazed at how the Apostle Paul goes through this book of Hebrews in these 13 chapters laboring to show how much better the Lord Jesus Christ is. You know, the word better is a reoccurring word in the book of Hebrews. The Apostle Paul is laboring to convince these Jews, these, these Hebrews, of how much better the Lord Jesus Christ and the new covenant of service is in comparison to everything in the old covenant of service. I mean, he starts out by telling you that Jesus Christ is he's better than the angels. He's better than our forefathers. His service that he's given us in this new covenant service is better than the old covenant service. And there's a high priest in the Old Testament that you read about, that you saw, that you spent time with. Jesus Christ is a better high priest. And in saying that, the Apostle Paul basically says everything in the Old Testament about the high priest was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ who is our our high priest. Let's begin by reading the first five verses of this fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews as we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest of his people. For every high priest is taken from among men, is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. Now I'm going to read that again since I put emphasis on a word. And I'm not going to put emphasis on that word this time. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who, that's the high priest, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. 
for that he himself also is compassed with infirmities. What does that mean? That means the high priest, he's taken from among men, ordained for men. He's had the same experiences as men. So he's not looking down on men, but understands what they're going through so that he himself would have compassion on them when they're ignorant and out of the way. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. The high priest of Israel, Jesus Christ our Lord. When we consider the high priest, I think we first need to consider how the Lord is our high priest in a way that no other person in the Bible was a high priest. I want to give this to you to begin with. When you go through the Old Testament, you study about the high priest of Israel. There was never two high priests, three high priests, four high priests. No, there was always supposed to just be one high priest. And this was not an honor that a man would politic for. This was not a service that a man would place himself in a hat to hope to be drawn out for. This was a service, a position that was appointed and called of God. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's called an elect. He was one that was sent. He was given this office by the highest authority of all, and that's the authority of the Godhead. And he humbled Himself being equal with the Father, being equal with the Holy Spirit in every way. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, humbled himself in this office to be the high priest for his people. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, our high priest, is a high priest in a way that no other person is a high priest or a priest in the Old Testament. I'd like for us to think about that. I'd also like this morning for us to think about the office of the Lord Jesus Christ and his high priest and how he is a high priest in a completely different order than Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. Then I'd like for us to consider the purpose of the high priest of Israel. And in considering the purpose of the high priest of Israel, we're going to look at how man has failed in his responsibility. How the priest in the Old Testament failed. None of them fulfilled what they were called upon to do. But in everything they failed in, Jesus Christ completed, fulfilled to a jot and a tittle. And then finally, I want us to think about what we get to experience as his children because he is a faithful and true, the one and only high priest, God of heaven, of his children. For every High priest is taken from among men. That right there tells us it was necessary that the eternal Son of God, who loved us before the world began, would become man. That he would be here among us. That he would take upon himself perfect humanity to fulfill the responsibility of a high priest, a mediator, an intercessor between us, us, and God. When you consider the priest in the Old Testament, Aaron and even those that were before Aaron that were of a different order, those high priests could lay their hands on men. They were men. They understood what men went through, but none of them were perfect. None of them were holy to be able to lay their hand on the very God of eternity. If you remember, it was Job in Job chapter 9 and verse 31. When he was suffering, he said, I have not a daysman. A daysman is a mediator. He's one that's uh, in between, a go-between between he and God. Job had not a daysman. The Lord Jesus Christ 
took upon himself perfect humanity, walked here among us. John said we felt him, we've handled him, the word of life, that he would be that perfect daysman, the perfect high priest between us and God. The high priest in the Old Testament, those men labored to be priests and be what God had called them to be, but none of them were perfect. None of them were holy. None of them could actually be a priest and king at the same time. You know, I find men in the Bible that were priests and they were prophets, but they were not a king. I find men that were prophets and kings, but they were not a priest. Why? Because the office of a king and the office of a priest is very different in the Old Testament. What is the king supposed to do? What's his office? He's to uphold the rule of law, to uphold truth. You remember David said in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 3, He that ruleth before men must be just ruling in the fear of God. Wow, I wish we had a government that would follow that law. He that ruleth before men must be just ruling in the fear of God. The king was to uphold the law. But how could one uphold the law and have mercy for someone that was guilty? Notice in verse 2 of Hebrews 5, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? How can someone that's upholding the law have compassion on someone that's out of the way that's guilty? He cannot do it. So the kings in the Old Testament, such as Saul, David, Zedekiah, Jehoiakim, they were kings, but they could not be a priest at the same time. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is a priest and king at the same time. And he's the only one that can do that. He's the very eternal God. The king of this universe. And the priest of his people. Upholding law and showing compassion at the same time. Have you ever noticed the text in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12? Zechariah and Zechariah 6 and verse 12 make reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The branch. You know, that's a reoccurring title for the Lord in the Old Testament, the branch. I find he's called the servant, the branch. I find he's called the king, the branch. Here in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, behold the man that is the branch. And that one would grow up out of his place and he would build the temple of the Lord. And he did. Jesus Christ built the temple of the Lord. You remember he said, upon this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He shall build the temple of the Lord, even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall sit and reign upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. There's one place where the rule of God's law and the compassion of the high priest are met together, and they're met together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, he's a king and priest at the same time, something that no one in the Old Testament could be. How is that possible? Because he came in the world and upheld the law in our room instead. Everything that the law required us to be. And by the way, for us to have a home in heaven, we will have to be in perfect compliance to God's law. We cannot be close to being in compliance to God's law. We cannot nearly be in compliance to God's law. For us to be with God in heaven, we will have to be wholly in compliance to God's law. See, God's law is not looking for a good batting average. You know, baseball players, they look for good batting average. God's law is not looking for a good Batting average. God's law demands perfection. James said, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of it all. Why? You broke the perfection and what it demands. Let me illustrate it like this. I'm, I've got a driver's license here in the state of North Carolina. I drive on the highway. But let's say I break a speed limit and the North Carolina State Patrol pulls me over. Now, can I plead my case by saying, hey, I've lived here for over three years and I've kept all these speed limits all this time and that should count for something. Would he be concerned about that or just that one time that I broke the law? Now, when he writes that ticket, that ticket of me breaking that law is just about that one time 
that I broke that law. Why, the law demands me to keep that speed limit the whole time that I'm driving on the highways in North Carolina. God's law demands perfection. Jesus Christ came into the world because his children, us, we were not in compliance to the law. We can't be in heaven of our own works because why? We have failed in everything that we've done. But Jesus Christ, our high priest that had mercy for us, came into the world, upheld and kept the law in our room instead. His righteousness, perfection has been imputed to us so that now he has compassion for you and upheld the law for you all at the same time. David said in Psalms chapter 85 and verse 10 of the Lord Jesus Christ that mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other at the same time on one throne. You've got compassion and mercy and the upholding of God's law, something that no man in the Old Testament could do. Paul is telling us Jesus did it. Jesus is better. Also, when you consider the office of the Lord as high priest, it's different than the Levitical priesthood. You know, through this letter the Apostle Paul writes, if you'll notice, the Apostle Paul in chapter 6 and 7, he pays attention to an Old Testament character. His name is Melchizedek. And that's, that's a big name, Melchizedek. You know, I've looked at some of those names in the Old Testament, and I'll be honest with you, some of them I try to pronounce, some of them I probably pronounce wrong. And some of them I look at and I think, you know, I bet their mom and daddy didn't call them by that whole name when they called them for supper. <laughs> You know, you consider it like Isaiah's son, me assured shall hash bass. I mean, can you hear his mama calling him for breakfast with that big name? I bet she just said, okay, little Shally, come on, let's get something to eat. Melchizedek, that's, that's a big name. You know, you consider that name Melchizedek and how he was a priest. And the Bible said he was like unto the Son of God. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is a high priest not after the order of the Levitical priesthood, which was Aaron and his sons and those hereafter, but the Lord Jesus Christ is a high priest from a different order, meaning not like like them. Well, if he's not a high priest after the order of the Levitical priesthood, how is he a high priest? It's like Melchizedek was. Melchizedek was a priest like those in the Old Testament were before the Levitical priesthood. He was the head of the house. Do you remember over in Exodus chapter 19, before there was a Levitical priesthood, before God called Aaron to be a priest, the Bible said they were priests that came near to Mount Sinai. How were they priests? They were the heads of the household. The head of the house was supposed to represent the family to God. Do you remember in Job chapter 1, before there's a Levitical priesthood, Job was written. Job made an offering for his family, for his children. He was the priest of the family. Melchizedek was a priest, the head of the family. Abraham came and gave tithes to him because he was the head of the family, the oldest one of that tribe at that time. He was like under the Son of God. Jesus Christ is our priest, not after the Levitical priesthood, he was not even born of the tribe of Levi. Jesus Christ was born of the tribe of Judah. And the apostle Paul said, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Have you ever read that there in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 14? He said, it is evident that our Lord sprang from the tribe of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. What is Paul saying? Because there's silence in the Bible on this issue, we can come to a conclusion there is no priest from that tribe of Judah. That's a good point. That teaches me if the Bible is silent on something, I can come to a doctrinal conclusion, interpretational conclusion, it's not scriptural. If you've heard anybody say this, well, the Bible doesn't say not to do it. You've heard that? Well, the Bible doesn't say not to do a lot of things, but I know it's wrong. My question is, do I find somewhere where the Bible says to do it, to do it? That's the question. Find me somewhere in the Bible that says to do it. Paul said there's no scripture that said there was a priest that sprang from the tribe of Judah. Therefore, we conclude there's no priest in the tribe of Judah. But the Lord Jesus Christ 
is a priest from the tribe of Judah from a different order than that of the Levitical priesthood. He is our priest as the head of the household. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, see if we can make a little bit of sense of this verse. The Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, and that word foreknow there does not mean that God would have knowledge of. God knows everything. Paul taught us that of the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, even dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What is he saying? This word in Hebrews 4.12, which is not the written word, it's not the priest's word, it's the living word. It's alive, it's quick and powerful, it's Jesus Christ. This one Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, he knows everything. There's nothing hid from his sight. When the Bible said, for whom he did foreknow, it's not making reference to God just having knowledge of something. God has knowledge of all things. God knows where the grasshopper is at all times. God knows how many inches the grasshopper jumps in the yard when he jumps. God knows how many hairs you got on your head. God knows all things. But when the Bible says he foreknew, it's making reference to he foreloved. He foreloved you. What about in the book of Genesis? The Bible says that there in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, and Adam knew his wife Eve. Oh, that's when they met, right? Are you kidding me? That's not when they met. <laughs> Adam called her name Eve. <laughs> She's the mother of all living. Adam was putting her asleep. God took a rib from his side and made Eve and gave her to Adam and they were together there in the garden. He knew her. But the Bible says when he knew her, that's when they came into an intimate union with one another. When the Bible says that God foreknew for whom he did foreknow, and by the way, it says whom and not what. Whom he did foreknow, it means we came into an intimate union with him. That's when God loved us in covenant before the world began. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What does that mean right there? Firstborn among many brethren? That means he is the head of the house. That's what it means. Jesus Christ is our high priest, not after the Levitical priesthood as the son of Aaron. No, he is our priest as the head of the house. He is the one that's the head of the house. He is the one that supplies for the house. He is the one that does for the house. He is the one that represents the house before the Father. Now we've considered the Lord Jesus Christ as a king and a priest at the same time, something that no man in the Old Testament can be. We've considered the order by which he is a priest, which is the head of the house. What was the purpose of the priest in the Old Testament? I mean, why did God design this in the Old Testament? When he gave the tabernacle and temple worship service, he gave a priest. I mean, the priest had purposes. One of the purposes we've already mentioned was to represent the people to God. Another purpose was to teach the people the way of God. And the third was to make sacrifice for the people to God. To represent the people. Let's go back to this text here in Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. What is he doing? He's representing the people before God. Why don't you do something real quick for me in your mind? I want you to think about that tabernacle and temple worship service. Now, God designed that and called a man, Aaron, to represent the people before him in that service. And I want you to think all the way back to the book of Genesis when God made the earth, the world, and made man, and the Garden of Eden was there, and how Adam, the head of the household, was to represent the people to God. Adam, God made him upright. He was the head of the house. He was our representative. He was supposed to represent man to God. But what did Adam do? Did Adam represent us faithfully and truly? He did not. He failed. 
And you would say, well, you know, he didn't really have a chance. He did have a chance. Are you kidding me? I mean, everything was perfect. <laughs> I mean, God put him in a garden just to keep it aggressive. Someone would say, well, you know, an environment would have a lot of a, 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 a terrible effect on someone and the choices they make. Adam was in a perfect environment. Well, you know, hereditary, you know, his mom and daddy made bad choices. It's just natural for him to make wrong choices. Adam was made by the hand of God. <laughs> God breathed in the breath of life. This is what you're to do. Do this. Get in this garden. Keep it and dress it. Represent the people. Adam failed. Adam failed. So God, God, in his desire to fellowship with his children, he gave a design to the children of Israel. And that design of the high priest is very comparable to what Adam was in the garden. And that high priest in the Old Testament was to represent the people to God, to go before the Lord. You know, the prophet in the Old Testament, he represented God to the people. He would come and tell the people the ways of God and tell them where they're doing wrong and what they should do right. The priest would represent the people to the Lord and go before the Lord in their room instead. But how often did the high priest, the priest, in the Old Testament, fail and fail and fail and fail and fail again. The Apostle Paul takes up these 13 chapters in the book of Hebrews to show where they failed, yes. But Jesus Christ did not, did not fail. Now, let's focus just for a few moments on the high priest of Israel. And the Lord's specific instructions even concerning his, his garments that he would wear. How many of you saw pictures of the high priest of Israel in the Old Testament, the garments that he would wear. You can go to Exodus chapter 28 and find a lot of this information. There's other places in the book of Exodus. You can also go to Leviticus chapter 16 and learn something about these garments he would wear. But all these garments did one thing. They made him a distinct character among the people. They could look and see, hey, he's the one. It's him. I can see him. He's not dressed like other folks. Because other folks couldn't wear those garments. He represents us to God and all those garments declare, give a manifestation of his responsibility in representing the people to God. But in all those responsibilities, over and over in the Old Testament, we find where those priests failed. They didn't complete it. And you know, if one of them would have completed it, guess what? Jesus Christ would not have had to come. Do you know if one person could have satisfied God's law perfectly before the Lord come? The Lord wouldn't have to come. The law was given to show man's deficiency before God. The law was given according to Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 that every mouth may be stopped. Stop your bragging. You can't do it. You haven't done it. The law made nothing perfect. The law just gave light to show the errors of man and his wrongdoings and failures. And when you see the service of even the high priest under the law, you can see throughout the Old Testament their deficiency and shortcomings before God. But the Apostle Paul here in the book of Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ was not short. There was no shortcomings. He fulfilled everything and every responsibility as our high priest. And in that, hallelujah, we've got a precious experience and a comfort and peace and our, our trust in him. First of all, let's think about these garments and how they show that responsibility of the high priest. And how they failed, but the Lord Jesus didn't. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 28 real quick. If you'll notice with me in Exodus chapter 28 and verse 2, these garments were given for Aaron, which was the brother of Moses, for glory and for beauty. If you'll notice in verse 4, And these are the garments which thou shalt make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe, a broader coat, a miter, and a girdle, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest, priest's office. I'm going to start with the base, basic garments, and I'm going to work my way out. And I'm going to show you what these garments represented and those responsibilities. I want to show you how they failed, and I want to go to the book of Hebrews and show you where the Apostle Paul said Jesus did Turn your page over one page, just later in this 28th chapter. And you notice in verse 39 that they would make an, an embroidered coat of fine linen 
a miter, which is like a turban for the head of fine linen, and a girdle of needlework of fine linen. This was all white. This was the base garments of Aaron that he'd wear. The high priest would wear these garments. A white turban on his head, this girdle of fine linen, this miter, this broidered coat of fine linen. If you recall in Leviticus chapter 16, when he would go into the holiest of all with the blood of the goat, this is what he would have on, just all white. What is this saying? White in the Bible is an emblem of holiness. It's an emblem of something being right, something being right. You remember in uh, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, the fine linen was the righteousness of the saints. It's right. What this is teaching us is the high priest of Israel in the Old Testament, in order to represent the children of Israel properly, he had to be right with God. He couldn't be out of the way himself. That's the reason Aaron, before he went into the holiest of all in Leviticus chapter 16, he had to make an offering for himself. He had to be reconciled himself before he could even put forth an effort to represent the people before God. But how many times in the Old Testament do you find that men that were called on to be priests were not right with God but failed Failed in their service to God. What about, you don't have to go far. Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, these sons of Aaron. What did they do? They brought strange fire before the Lord. I mean, they were supposed to take the coals from the brazen altar and bring it to the incense altar, but they brought in strange fire, fire that they made themselves. God lit that fire, and that was the fire they were to use in God's service. But these men failed to be right with God, and what happened? They died. They died. You know, God was specific about the details concerning his service. I'll tell you, God is specific about his orders and details. They brought the strange fire and they died. They, they failed. They were not right with God. If you go with me to Hebrews chapter 4, as well as Hebrews chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says that our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, now if we've got someone representing us to God, I want someone that's right with God, don't you? I want someone that's right and in accordance with God. If I've got somebody representing me in government here in Washington, D.C., I'd like for them to be in accordance to the law, wouldn't you? I don't want someone representing me that's not in accordance to the law. When it comes to the throne of heaven, I want someone representing me there that's right with God. Well, those in the Old Testament were not. Men is not. But the Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What is he saying? Jesus Christ is right with God. He's right with him. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. For such a high priest, such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. What is he saying? He is right with God. You know the reason my prayers are heard in the throne of heaven? You know the reason that I can touch God with my needs? I've got a representative, a high priest that's there with God that's right with him. He is right with God. Something they were never in the Old Testament. Something that I could never be of my own words. He is right. But not only that, the Bible says in Exodus 28, another portion of those garments was a plate that would be upon a blue lace. Look with me in verse 36 and 37. Not only did the priest have on that fine linen coat and, and breeches and girdle and miter, but he also had a blue lace upon his head, and upon that blue lace was a plate. What did that plate say? Verse 36. On that plate it was engraved. Man, this is all capital letters. This is serious. Wouldn't you agree? Holiness to the Lord. That priest would wear that always. Holiness to the Lord. You've got someone representing the people that's declaring holiness to the Lord. Not only did he have to be right with God, he had to be faithful to God. For someone to represent the people properly before God, not only did he have to be right with God, he had to be faithful to God. Well, I don't have to go far in the Old Testament. I'll find something that's not faithful to God. What about Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 31? When the prophets were prophesying falsely and the priests 
would bear a rule of their own means. What is that saying? The priests were not doing it God's way. They are doing it their own way. <laughs> well, so I did it my way. Yeah, they did it their way, and it got them in a mess. And the Babylonians came and destroyed the city. For us to have a proper representative with God, he'll have to be someone that's, that's faithful to God. Well, what did the Apostle Paul say in the book of Hebrews? He's a faithful high priest. He's a true high priest. You remember there in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1? The Apostle Paul makes reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was faithful in all his house. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Jesus Christ was faithful. Perfect faithfulness from the beginning to the end, from the cradle to the cross. Faithful in obedience. Faithful in giving honor to God. Faithful in being perfect in all that he did. He is faithful to the Father. So when someone is faithful, and he's my faithful representative, it should cause me to have great comfort. I've got someone representing me before the Father that is faithful. He's perfect in all of his doings. Not like men in the Old Testament. Paul said he's better than those in the Old Testament. All right, let's go a little further. Let's back up just a little further. We'll find that the high priest, if you'll notice with me, in verse 31, 32, and 33, he would have on a blue robe. And on that blue robe, of course, it was like a version. It had a hole, and it would go over his head. And upon the bottom of that, the hem of that robe, there would be pomegranates and bell, pomegranate and a bell, pomegranate and a bell, pomegranate and a bell. You know, those pomegranates and bells were not there for God to see. They were there for the people to see. For them to see that that high priest cared for them. And it was a manifestation of his compassion and care for them and representing representing them. But it didn't take long in the Old Testament to find priests that didn't have compassion on the people. Do you remember Eli and his sons? Wow. Eli just let his sons go, didn't he? That's not having compassion for the people, letting them fleece the people like that and treat them wrong. What about the days of Malachi? Remember in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8, when the people there, the priests caused them to stumble. They didn't have compassion and care for the people, but the Lord Jesus Christ has manifested, just as those bells and pomegranates did, has manifested to us his care and compassion toward us. And the Apostle Paul tells us that there in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1 of that compassion he has toward, toward us. I don't think anyone could deny that the Lord Jesus Christ cares about you. He cares about you in such a way, I've already said, he knows the very hairs of your head, everyone that's numbered. That's caring, folks. I mean, there's not a bird that drops to the ground without the Father's knowledge, but every hair of your head is numbered. He cares and he loves you and has compassion on you, and he's shown forth that in his, even in his very ministry here on earth. Do you remember John the Baptist when he came to the end of his days there in Matthew chapter 11? He was, he was having a struggle. Yeah. And he sent some to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Would you ask him if he's the one that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus said, well, you sorry old dog, John, you baptized me. You don't even know that I'm he that was supposed to come. No, that's not what Jesus did to him. Mm -mm. He said, you go show John again those things which you do hear and see. Hearing the bells, seeing the pomegranates. Go show John again those things which you do hear and see. Go show John the bells and the pomegranates that he would know how much I care for him and who I am and what I'm here in the world to do. You remember Peter said that, of those things which you do hear and see. You hear the bells, you see the pomegranates, to know who the Lord Jesus Christ is, your high priest, and his care and his love for you and what he came in the world to do and what he does for you in your life. But not only that, the high priest would have an ephod. That a curious girdle connected to it. You remember it was made and it would be blue and red and purple. And he would wear that girdle and the ephod that was on that. And upon that would be ouches. And it would have ouches being clasped. And upon that would be onyx stones. And, and it would be connected with wreaths and chains to a, a breastplate of judgment that was four square equal folded over. So the urim and the thumb, thumb would be put up in it. And, and upon that breastplate of judgment which was a span and a span, a span tall, a span wide, that was close to the heart of Aaron, would be 12 stones, and upon those stones would be the names of, of every tribe of Israel. I mean, when you see that high priest in those garments, you see those stones and the names engraving upon those stones, and then the names engraving upon the stones of his chest. I mean, someone would say, how do you know he's representing you to God? How would you know? You'd say, I know that my name is on those stones. 
tribe of Judah, how do you know this high priest is representing you before the Lord? Well, I know my name's on that stone right there. Okay, how about you? You tribe of Nathali, how do you know that he's representing you? I, I know he is. My name's on that stone. See, the high priest wore these garments to give them assurance. I'm, I'm representing you before the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ is better than them. How many times in the book of Hebrews did the Apostle Paul say he entered in this place for us, right? For us. For us. Wow, that's assurance, right? For us. How many times did he say we we have, not just there is. There is. He didn't say there is. He said we have a great high priest. We have. Well, we is us, us. That is assurance. And that understanding that he represents us. The high priest would wear those garments and represent them. But how many times did they fail to represent the people and spent more time representing themselves, doing for their own good rather than for the people's good? Jesus Christ did not. Jesus Christ represented us, represents us. And not only that, he gives us assurance he represents us in, this, in a greater way than he did, the high priest did for them in the Old Testament. Do you remember that church at Pergamos? When the Lord said, he that would overcome, he said, I'll give you a stone. Upon that stone there'd be a, a new name written that no man knoweth. <laughs> you know, I got a name. I got a name. It's Roddy Benjamin Loudermilk. I'm the son of Marvin Faye Loudermilk. There's a time in my life I understood I had a new name. You know what that name was? Roddy Benjamin Loudermilk, the child of God. It's just a new name. It's the new man's name. The born-again child of God. And just as the high priest wore those garments to give assurance that he represented them in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, we have for us, has given us assurance that he represents us in heaven. God has given us that assurance. I want to tell you, I'm like my daddy said, that assurance that I have in him and him representing me, I get so happy I can swing over hell on a rotten grapevine singing Amazing Grace. The high priest not only wore that, and that judgment... Blessed breastplate of judgment, but when that he had the Urim and the Thummim, which the Urim and the Thummim was used for them to know the will of God. You remember when Saul of Kish was king? He longed to know the will of God, but the Lord was separated from him because of his disobedience, and the Bible says God would not answer him by Thummim or Urim. But it's Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, he's shown us the will of God. He teaches us the temporal will of God. He is the will of God and fulfilling the will of God in the eternal context, but teaches us the will of God in a temporal context. So all these garments teach us the responsibility of the high priest in representing us, but we can see throughout the Old Testament how men have failed to represent the people. And Paul said, Jesus is better, a better high priest in representing us, and he has not failed in anything, but completed all and fulfilled it all to a jot and a tittle. Second responsibility of the priest was to teach the people. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11, Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 10, to teach the people the way of God. How did men in the Old Testament fail? But Jesus didn't fail. You know, throughout the Gospels, it's Jesus that taught us how to please God. <laughs> Jesus taught us more about God than anyone that's ever walked on earth. You know how we know more than they did in the Old Testament? Jesus came and has given us more light. That's the reason we have more light in the New Testament church than they had in that Old Covenant service. Jesus came and gave us that light. The apostles just confirmed unto us those things they were taught and it's being confirmed and confirmed and confirmed through the generations and now you still have primitive Baptist preachers still declaring that same truth that faith was delivered to the saints by Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ taught us. But not only that, one thing further. The high priest had a responsibility in making sacrifice for the people. Let's turn back to Hebrews real quick. You'll find here in Hebrews chapter 10 that none of those offerings in the Old Testament ever made one person perfect before the throne of God. I talked to someone once, and I was talking to them about salvation by grace and grace alone, about how we'll all be in heaven the same way. Whatever we teach about eternal salvation, it's got to have everyone in heaven the same way. If someone says, I tell you what, 
You've got to hear the gospel and believe the gospel in order to go to heaven. My question is, what about those infants that die in the womb? How do they get there then? If that's the way someone gets to heaven, you've just said all the infants that die in the womb have to go to hell because they can't do that. They cannot respond to the gospel. They cannot hear the gospel. Well, I'll tell you what, Brother Ronnie, you've got to do this. You've got to come before the church, make confession, and be baptized. What about someone that's, that's challenged with a physical ailment? What about someone that maybe has a deficiency in their, in their thought, in their mind? What about them? They, they can't do it. Well, then what you've done, you just condemned them to hell. They can't do it. Whatever we teach about eternal salvation, it must have everyone in heaven the same way. From the infant that dies in the womb to the man that's on the cross beside Jesus. And he can't get repentance there, can he? He's not going to get baptized there. I told someone once, you know, all the world, their ideas about eternal salvation, how we get saved. There's one man in the Bible that just crushes it all. You know who he is? He's that one man that hung there beside the Lord Jesus Christ. You tell me how he got baptized. You tell me how he went before someone and confessed all his sins. You tell me how he did all that the people in the world says he has to do. That one man right there crushes all the world's ideas about eternal salvation and upholds what the Bible teaches that we're saved by grace and grace alone. Our eternal home is by God's love and his grace and his mercy. And we're all saved the same way by him, of him, and to him be all the glory. Old Testament. How did they get to heaven? Well, Brother Ronnie, they made those offerings in the Old Testament. Mm -mm. Read with me Hebrews chapter 10, first four verses. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. What that means is it's just a shadow and not the real thing. Can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. How do you like that word never right there? For then would they not have ceased to have been offered. If they would have made one person perfect, they wouldn't have had to offer any more. Because that worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin, but in those sacrifices there is remembrance again made of sins every year. Have you ever noticed the memorial service we have here at Union Grove? It's called the communion table. That memorial service reminds us, points us back to what made us holy before God. His blood, his broken body. These sacrifices in the Old Testament, all they were were memorial services pointing to the one. The same as this points us back. Those services pointed forward to the one that would come and make us perfect before God the Father. Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. They could not do it. So the Apostle Paul says, look. Priests had a responsibility to make sacrifice for the people. They made sacrifice, they made sacrifice, they made sacrifice. But it didn't make anybody perfect. And the Apostle Paul takes us to our high priest. Notice in verse 11. And every priest standeth daily. The priest in the Old Testament in their service in the tabernacle in the temple would go by a brazen altar. They would go by a brazen labor. They'd go in the sanctuary and there'd be a a table of showbread, there'd be a lampstand, there'd be an incense altar, they'd go in the holiest of all once a year, and there'd be an Ark of the Covenant overlaid with mercy seat and cherubims, but there wasn't a chair for them to sit down in, nowhere in that house. No place to sit down. Why? That work was never done. It was going on and on and on and on. Paul said, every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which could never, which could never take away sins. But this man, this man, who is this man? Our high priest of Israel. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Our high priest. Jesus is the high priest the altar and the sacrifice all at the same time. He's the high priest that made the offering. He is the offering that was made by the high priest himself, and he is the altar upon which the offering was made. Notice what it did. That offering Jesus did was something none of the Old Testament were. It was sufficient. It was sufficient.
said, why, it only took one. <laughs> one. One time. Jesus came in the world and died one time for sin. You know, that's the reason I believe in the preservation of the saints. Once saved, always saved. Jesus did it one time. And one time was good enough, buddy. And it got the job done. When he said it is finished, it's finished. It was done. But not only was it sufficient, done. He sat down. By the Father, it was also satisfactory. That offering was made to the Father. You know the reason it didn't have a chair in the Old Testament? It never satisfied the Father concerning sin. No place to sit down. Jesus satisfied the Father, Brother John. He satisfied him. When he satisfied him, he sat down. If Jesus satisfied the Father, and if Jesus is satisfied with what he did, and he sat down, why can't I just sit down and be satisfied with what Jesus did? <laughs> That's a good thought, isn't it? Why don't I just be satisfied and sit down in what Jesus did? Now, there's a lot of rest that can be had in just sitting down and being satisfied that Jesus did it. He did it and did all that was required. And I want to tell you, I know the Father is satisfied because Jesus sat down by him. I'm going to tell you, my daddy gave me something to do. If I didn't get it done, I sure wasn't going to sit by him. Uh-uh. If I wasn't sitting by my daddy and I didn't have done what he told me to get done, I want to tell you, I'd be walking with a limp. You better believe it. I, when I sat down by my daddy, when he gave me something to do, I had got it done. Jesus Christ went and sat down by the only one that mattered. Why? It was sufficient. It was satisfactory. It was also settled. Everything was settled. What was settled, Brother Ronnie? The entire sin debt was settled. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That was one of my daddy's favorite verses in the Bible. For by one offering, one time, sufficient, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, meaning them that were set apart to be saved by him when he came in the world. Now, if he is perfecting this, what can be added to perfection? Nothing. He did it. He did it all. Now, what does this do for us? Wow, man, it gives me a lot of peace. I got a lot of peace in my life believing I've got a high priest that represents me faithfully, truly in heaven. I've I, I got a lot of peace in my life believing this high priest that made this sacrifice in my room instead. And I got a refuge in him. And I got a refuge not only now, but forever and ever. In the Old Testament, you know, there were six cities of refuge set aside. If a man got himself in trouble, there were three on one side of Jordan, three on the other side of Jordan. And if a man got himself in trouble, he could flee to that refuge and he can remain there as a refuge as long as the priest lived. But guess what? The priest of the Old Testament would die. And when they die, they're back in trouble again. But you know, in Jesus Christ, I've got an eternal refuge in him, but also have a temporal refuge in him that's forever and ever and ever and ever. You know why? My high priest has an endless life. He's going to live forever, and therefore, I have a refuge in him, and that's why he's always a present refuge and strength to those that are in trouble. May God rest the blessings of our prayer. I'm sorry I went a little too long.